Uh, this morning, uh, we have a special guest with us this morning. We had an opportunity last week um, to look at Disciple Driven India, uh, Part 1, an opportunity to do some vision casting and just uh, uh, share uh, some of the exciting things that uh, were going on over there. I had an opportunity to be in India uh, at the beginning of July, and so it was good just to be able to share with you uh, some of the vision uh, that we have for uh, being a part of what God's doing to the very ends of the earth. Last week we looked at Acts 1.8 and the fact that we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us is to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And a little bit later towards the end of the service, Pastor Justin's going to come up and give us an update on some of the exciting things that we've had an opportunity to be a part of this last week in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Uh, but today we have a special guest with, with us, uh, Dr. David Nelms. He is president and founder of the Timothy Initiative, and I had an opportunity to travel uh, throughout India uh, with David, and it was just so exciting for me to be around uh, just a guy that has just got a passion uh, for the body of Christ, a passion for reaching people for Christ, a passion for uh, church planting, and uh, David is just a, a man of God that is after God's own heart, and it was just exciting for me to be able to be alongside with him during that trip. Uh, he's joined by his lovely wife, uh, Loretta, this morning, and uh, we're just excited to have David here uh, with us this morning. I want to encourage you, um, after the service today, uh, David's going to make himself available in the junior high and high school room uh, for a question and answer period. And so if you want to know more about um, our trip to India, a little bit more where we have an opportunity uh, to be a partner with what God's doing in India, or maybe God's prompting you uh, to get involved in that in some way. Maybe you're thinking missions or missionary or somewhere along those lines. I want to encourage you to come over and join us in the junior high room. It's going to be immediately following the service. Uh, David will be there. But at this time, I'd like to welcome David. And uh, I just am so looking forward to uh, what God's going to do in our time together this morning. I had an opportunity to be with David during the first service. I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do. Thanks for being with us this morning, David. Thank you, Rich. It's a real uh, privilege to be with you guys. If I can brag on uh, Rich for a second, I've taken, I don't know, dozens if not hundreds of speakers overseas to speak to church planters, people out there in the villages planting churches where there's never been one. And I don't think I've ever had anyone that connected with our people like Rich did. He literally, literally had people rolling on the floor in laughter. He, he's very he's very animated. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He's... Uh, his humor is, as someone said in the last service, a little bit on the cheesy side, okay? But it's still, though, very... I told him he could be a stand-up comedian if he wanted to be. Uh, to, I, I would pay to go listen to him tell jokes. So, of course, I'm a very boring person, okay? But still, I would pay to see him, uh, listen to him. But he, I want to thank you all for loaning him to us for a few days. He did a really good job. And if you all don't mind, can we give him a big hand, please? He, he earned it. And then I've just, I've just got to tell you this. We, we, uh, we plant churches where there are no churches. We've, uh, in six and a half years, we've planted with our partners, people like you, some 26,000 churches in Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, animist villages, primarily in that 1040 window of Asia, but also across Africa and some here on this side of the world. And so I work with a lot of churches, a lot of partners, I had heard about you guys a few years ago through a mutual friend. Uh, you used to have a member of your church named Phil Sura. I think he was here when you actually started the thing 15, 20 years ago, however long ago it was. 
And Phil is actually on my board. He had bragged on you guys and talked about you. And I'd actually been praying for about two years, that God, a year and a half, two years, that I could connect with Pastor Dan and you guys. And there was one week, it was a few months ago, where that week I'd been praying. And I got a phone call. I was actually in the middle of a banquet down in North Florida, Jacksonville. And I, I didn't know who the number was, but I thought, I'm going, to take this, I'm going to take this call. And I slipped out of the banquet, and it was Pastor Dan. And I told him, I said, man, you are, God just answered my prayer. I mean, I've been praying this week that I could meet you and have a chance to connect with you guys. So I feel like this is one of those divine uh, appointments. I believe I'm supposed to be here. I believe God's wanting us to work together. And in fact, we've already started doing so. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I want to thank Pastor Dan and Rich and all the great people that I've met here today. Can I get you to open your Bibles, please, or use your phone or whatever you use? John 3, verse 16. It's one of those verses that, that we have heard so much that I, I think we, we have forgotten what it's all about. It, there are some verses in the Bible we, we can, everybody, my guess is everyone in this room can quote John 3.16, okay? But we've heard it so much, we've, it's so familiar to us, that I think sometimes we have forgotten what it's really all about. For God. Not, not some lowly person like me. God. For God. So loved. He didn't just love. He so loved. The who? The world. Who did God love? The. Come on, speak to me. Who did He love? The world, yeah. For God so loved, not just me, not just you, the world. How much did He love the world? That He gave His one and only Son. He didn't have three sons, two sons. He had one son. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. As you leave here this morning, I hope you will leave with one word ringing in your ears and your heart, and it's the word urgency. I am just driven to see to it that the whole world has a chance to hear and understand what you just heard. That there's a God in heaven that so loved them that He sacrificed that man of sorrows we just sang about. He sacrificed His Son so that they could have eternal life. But, but it, it boggles my mind. They don't know that. The world does not know that. And the reason the world does not know it is because they have not been told. There is an urgency today that we get the gospel to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. There are some 7 billion people in the world today. 7 billion plus. Two of those 7 billion claim to be followers of Christ. Of those 2 billion, one half of them are, are Catholics. The other half would include every Protestant of every flavor. It would include all of your Coptic churches, all of your Orthodox churches, all your, your Anglican communion all over the entire world. It would include every cult. There's 10,000 cults out there, ladies and gentlemen. Jehovah's, everything. Everything that would call themselves a follower of Christ is included in that one billion, one billion Catholics. Let's take them aside and put them over here. Let's say they all know Jesus. 
that still leaves 5 billion out of 7 billion who will say we are not followers of Jesus. We are Muslims. We are Buddhists, Hindus, atheists. We are animists. Again, 10,000 different groups out there. If we are going to have a Christian presence within, every, within walking distance of every 1,000 of those 5 billion people, if we're going to obey that verse right there, if we are going to be having the Holy Spirit come upon us, if we are going to be His witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but ends of the earth, if we're going to do what He told us to do, if we're going to have a Christian presence, a church within walking distance of every 1,000 of those 5 billion people that don't know Christ, do the math. Divide 1,000 into 5 billion. The number you come up with is 5 million churches. We need today, in order for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to have a chance to hear a clear presentation of John 3.16 of the Gospel, we need, a, we need 5 million more churches planted today. We'll need more than that tomorrow. How many is 5 million? If you add up all the churches of every kind, every flavor, every description on the face of the earth today, according to Fuller Seminary, there's about 4.2, 4.3 million churches. In other words, after 2,000 years, we are not, we're not even halfway done with the job yet. There are billions of people out there who don't know Jesus. There are some 2 billion people on the face of the earth today who will never meet face-to-face someone like you. You guys today, you, you shook hands with each other. You're going to give big hugs as you leave. You know many people that know Christ. You know many born-again believers. There are 2 billion people on the face of the earth who will never meet face-to-face someone who believes like you. We work, uh, I do the international church planting for the Converge denomination. You guys are a Converge church. And Converge has, has, has uh, focused on an area of North India and Nepal. In North India, we are planting churches in 171 districts. A district there is a county. 171 counties. Those counties are what I call 0.1 counties or 0.1 districts. Why 0.1? Because 99.9% of the people living in those 171 counties in North India claim to be something other than a Christian. 99% of them would say, I am not a follower of Christ. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Hindu. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In 171 counties, 99.9% of the people do not know Jesus. The other 0.1% would be Catholics, Protestants, cults, whatever, that would say we are a follower of Jesus. If you add up the people in those 171 districts, it comes out to over three. 100 million people. Please let these numbers move from your head to your heart. 300 million people. That's almost the population of our nation. 300 million people. 99.9% of them will say, I am not a follower of Jesus. And that is just the northern tier of India. It doesn't even count the rest of the world. I will never forget the grief I felt when I was standing in a little village in North India. And I saw the men out in the fields working. I saw the mothers taking care of their babies. I saw the old women cooking over their fires, preparing lunch. And I saw the old men sitting under the trees, arguing and debating. 
And suddenly it dawned on me. I knew the statistics. I, I knew it all already like you. But suddenly the, it, it moved from my head to my heart. I realized this is, these are more than statistics. These are people. These are real people made in the image of God. Suddenly it occurred to me, these people are not rejecting Jesus Christ. These people, they don't even know who He is. They do not know who He is. No one has ever told them. I live in West Palm Beach, Florida, by the coast there. It was like a tidal wave of grief just swept over my soul. When it finally dawned on me, these little children here playing in the streets, the little dusty dirt roads, they are born here, they're going to live here, they're going to die here. And no one is ever going to tell them who Jesus is. It broke my heart. There in that northern tier of India where, again, uh, Converge is, is focused, there are hundreds of unreached people groups. Missiologists refer to them as UPGs, unreached people groups. And there, in fact, over half of the unreached people groups in the world are in India. And then there are hundreds of UUPGs, unengaged unreached people groups, many of them in that, that same area. Just our organization alone is working with 27 people groups in, in, in that part of the world. You say, what is a, what is a UUPG? It's a, a distinct group of people that, that uh, they have their own language, their own diet, their own traditions, their own dress. Do you remember when Jesus said in Matthew 28, when he said, go and, and make disciples of all nations? The word nations is the Greek word ethnos. We get our English word ethnicity from it. it, it it's a distinct family of people, a group of people. That's what I'm referring to. There are these hundreds and thousands of, of groups of people. They, they, have their, they are a, a distinct group from everyone else in the world that are totally unengaged with the gospel. In other words, they've never sat in a room like this. They've never heard songs like Our God and 10,000 Reasons and, and Man of Sorrows. They've never heard the stand uh, that you just sang a moment ago. They, they've never seen a Bible. Just three weeks ago in India, the first one I spoke to, the first person I spoke to, had never been in a church, had never seen his entire life a Bible. They have no Gospel of John. They don't know John 3.16. They don't know who Jesus is. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people. And the very last words out of his mouth, Acts 1.8, were ends of the earth. The last thing he said as he ascended into the heaven was ends of the earth. I want you to take the good news to the ends of the earth. There are millions of people who live in nations where missionaries cannot enter. You just can't go, at least not to plant churches or evangelize or do missions work. Those people are born there, they live there, they die there, and they never hear about Jesus but to me, what's worse than that is there are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people who live in nations that are open to missionaries. We can go there. We can plant churches. We can tell them about Jesus. We can evangelize. We can take the little orphan. We can, we can not only dig a well and give them a water, but we can give them living water at the same time. We are able to do that. They will let us come in. They'll let us do it. But we have not done so. Millions of people, millions. It's not that we can't give them Jesus. We can give them Jesus. We just haven't done so. You say, David, why not? You tell me. You tell me. Why why have we not? Why have we not done so? 
there, I'm told here in the United States, that in our average church, if you take the average Bible teaching church in America today, the average person, and my guess is you guys are far above average here, but the average Christ follower in the average Bible-based church in the United States gives less than 3% of his or her income to Jesus Christ in a year's time. And one out of five in a year's time gives absolutely nothing. Not one penny. Now, I'm 60 years old. I'm excited about that because I can now buy senior coffee at McDonald's for like 49 cents. Okay, I don't know what it costs up here in Florida. It's 49 cents. So I can go get me a cup of coffee. It costs, but, but that cup of coffee at McDonald's, 49 cents, that's 49 cents more than 20% of the Bible believers in the United States will give to Jesus Christ this year. But let's go back to the average. Two point something percent, under 3% we give to the Lord. Of that less than 3%, the money that trickles down to fulfill ends of the earth, global evangelism, is less than 3%. In other words, we are attempting to fund the Great Commission on less than 3% of less than 3% of just the Bible-believing Christians in the United States. And that is why there are billions of people out there who do not know Jesus. And what's even worse than that, is that as, as poor as that is, out of all the nations of the world, we lead the rest of the world in funding missions. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're at the top. And we are attempting to fulfill the Great Commission on less than 3% of less than 3% of the 10% or so people in our nation that attend churches like this one. I think it gets worse. Most of us, I fear, have stopped telling people about Jesus. Now, if someone runs up to you today at uh, Burger King or wherever you go to lunch, if someone runs up to you and grabs you and says, hey, I want to know Jesus, can you tell me? You would probably tell him or her. But most of us on our own have stopped talking about Jesus. Recently, I flew to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I do a lot of work there. And on my way in the plane, I was reading a blog about cities in America that are most receptive to the gospel. And the most receptive city in all of the USA to the gospel, to the Bible, things of the Lord, was Chattanooga, Tennessee. Number two was Lynchburg, Virginia. And so as I'm flying into Chattanooga, I'm thinking, this place is pretty receptive to, to what I do. I met a group of pastors at a restaurant downtown Chattanooga. It was one of those... Uh, uh, meat type restaurants where they they have like 20 different kinds of meat and they just keep they I mean they just they just load it it's like dining going to heaven for a guy like me okay it was like just incredible and so we're there and I'm sitting with those four pastors and their wives and sitting next to me was an african-american couple and the lady was a very had a very distinguished look about herself and I said to her I said you know you remind me of someone I just can't I just can't figure out who it is. And she said, well, uh, she said, Dr. David, many people think I remind them of Condoleezza Rice. And I said, yes, that's it. You look just like her. And then I said, many people think I look like Brad Pitt. Okay? And they had the same reaction you just had. They laughed. 
what I didn't know was there was a waiter behind me, a young guy about 20 years old, good-looking kid, real athletic-looking. And he, he's looking down at my bald head as I make that statement. And he starts laughing. I mean, he couldn't stop. I mean, he just laughed. And I finally said, look, it, was, it wasn't that funny. If you want a tip, stop laughing. And he took our drink order. Of course, it's Chattanooga. Everybody in Chattanooga orders sweet tea when you go out to dinner. Okay, So everybody order their sweet tea. And he's walking away. And I thought to myself, i, I got to say something. Uh, you see, I've been a pastor 36 years. I backed off from the table, and I kind of cornered them in the corner. Pastors are good at that. And I said, look, forgive me if I'm being... Uh, I wouldn't offend you for anything in the world. I'll probably never see you again. But I like you. And I'm sorry, but i got to ask you a question. I was old enough to, easily old enough to be his dad, almost his grandfather. I said, son, do you know Jesus? And boy, he immediately dropped his head to the ground and he looked back up at me in shame. He said, sir, he said, I do know Jesus. He said, but I've gotten away from him. He said, I used to be on fire. I got baptized in a river just a couple of miles from here. He said, but I got mixed up with the wrong crowd and I quit reading my Bible. I quit going to church. He said, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I later found out he was all into drugs. And He said, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. He said, my mother, she bugs me all the time. She's, She's always after me to go to church, and I won't go. In fact, she finally quit going. He, he said, if, I, if I'd start going back to church, I know my mother would go too. I said, son, this is your lucky day. I got four pastors sitting at that table. And I pulled one of them over, and long story short, I made the young kid sign his name in blood that he'd be in church. You know how pastors are. I made him sign it in blood that he'd be in church that Sunday. And then I went on to the restroom, take care of business, and wash my hands. And as I'm coming out, He's standing over on the side talking to a waitress. And I was feeling a little guilty. Maybe I pressured him a little too much. So I walked over and I said, look, if I was out of line, forgive me. I said, but I can't help it. I just, you're a good kid. I just, I just like you. He said, oh, no, no. He said, I appreciate you caring about me like that. And, and about that time, I remembered that blog I had read about Chattanooga. You know, there's like 20 churches within a stone's throw of that restaurant. And so I asked him, I said, I said, son, there are probably pastors like me in this restaurant every day, right? He said, oh, yeah, every day. I said, lots of Christians come. He said, he said sometimes that's all we have in here. He said, on Sunday when church lets out, the whole place is packed. I said, well, then you probably get asked about your relationship with Jesus a lot then, right? You know what he said to me? He kind of scratched his head and he said, well, you know, come to think of it. He said, I've never been asked that by anybody in my life. He pointed back over to our table. He pointed at a man there who was the director of evangelism for the Baptist Convention for the whole state. He said, now that guy was in here last week checking us out to make sure he wanted to bring you guys here. And he said, before he prayed over his food, he asked me if he could pray for me about anything. He said, that blew me away. He said, in my entire life, I've never had anybody ask me if they could pray for me. I said, now let me get this right. Let me make sure I get this straight. You're telling me Chattanooga, Tennessee, 500 churches within 15 miles of this place. If there's such a thing as a buckle on the Bible belt, this is it. You're telling me there are pastors in this restaurant every day 
dozens and dozens of Christians. You've been working here two years, and you're telling me nobody has ever asked you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, yeah. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just around the world. I don't know if anyone else in this room senses and feels what I feel, but every day of my life, from O'Hare Airport yesterday all the way to wherever we spent the night and all the way back to northwest Indiana where I'm going today, everywhere I look, I I would say to you, I sense, I feel that something's wrong in our country. And I'm not talking politics. We are drifting from the Lord as a nation. If you take the percentage of believers in the United States today and you go back one year ago from today, the, percent, the percentage has dropped from last year. And if you go back one year and move back another year, you'll find that it dropped again. And it goes on that way for about the last 15, 20, 30 years. We are in a decline spiritually. Our people are not sharing. Not only are we not funding the Great Commission overseas, we have stopped sharing Christ for the most part at least for many of us here at home. I think part of the problem is is some of us no longer believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I think we've heard for so many years that there are many roads, they all lead to the same place. I think some of us actually believe that. I think many of us no longer believe that there is a real hell with real fire where real people really die and go to when they die. I think it was William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who once said, if if God would allow me and my followers to go into hell and keep us there for five minutes and then let us out, he said, he said, we would, we would change this world. William Booth was right. I've often thought if God would tie some divine, uh, bungee cord around me and, and, and dangle me over, over, over hell for just a few seconds, if he'd let me get close enough to feel the flames and smell the smoke and, and, and more than that, to hear the cries of people who are shouting out, please, I have five brothers, brothers at home. Do not let them come here. Please go and tell them. I believe if God, I believe it would take me about 10, 15 seconds. If God would pull me out, I believe I would attack the gates of hell, and I believe you would too. I am not suggesting that we stand on the street corners and preach to people as they go by, that we scream at people. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that you take a big family Bible with you and whack people up the side. I'm not suggesting that. I am suggesting that at some point we need to be willing to tell somebody, anybody, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know the problem with John 3.16? And that almost sounds blasphemous. The problem with us in John 3.16 would be more appropriate, a better way to say it. We have heard John 3.16 so many times. Listen, your little children in your children's classes, if they can quote anything, they can quote John 3.16. We've heard the verse so much, we can sing it, we can preach it, we can teach it, we can quote it. We have forgotten the context. If you want to know the context of a passage, you look at the verses before it and after it. Look at John 3, verse 14 and 15, if you have your Bibles open. Or if you have your phone there. John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His will. You say, what in the world is He talking about the snake in the wilderness? 
Well, Jesus is referring to Numbers 21. Every time Jesus spoke, he opened his mouth, Scripture came out. He's referring to an incident in in Numbers 21. Go home and read it today. The children of Israel have left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. They're wandering in the wilderness. And they did something that really upset God. Now, I know today we're not supposed to say that God gets upset. But read Numbers 21. God got upset. He really got upset. You say, what did they do? Did they all like have this big party and all commit adultery? Well, what they actually did was they shook their fists in the face of God and they said, you've not taken care of us. You've not been faithful. We had it better in Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt where they're worshiping all those idols. We followed you out here and look where it got us. Uh, We're worse off than we've ever been. And God said, that's it. I've had it. And he sent these snakes. And these snakes came into the camp and they began to bite people. And when they bit the people, the people died. And, and, and the people went running to Moses and they said, help us, Moses, help us. We're all going to die. Go to God and ask God for help. So Moses went to God and said, God, please forgive the people. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Take some brass, melt it down. Take that molten brass and shape, form a serpent out of it. Place that serpent on a pole. Lift the pole up in the air and tell the people when they're bit, if they will look to that serpent on the pole, they will live. So Moses did exactly what God said. He lifted that serpent up on the pole. About that time, two men walks into the, into the tent. They're holding their arms. They say, Moses, we've been bit. We're going to die. Is there anything you can do to help us? And Moses said, yes. I just put a brazen serpent on a pole. If you'll look to that serpent on the pole, you will live. The first one looks at Moses and says, you've got to be kidding me. You mean to tell me if I look at some snake stuck on a stick, I'll live? That's, I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't believe that one. Wham! That one falls over dead on the spot. His buddy is standing a couple of feet from him. He looks at him laying there on the ground, dead as he can be. He looks back up at Moses and says, Let me get this straight. You're telling me that even though I shook my fist in the face of Almighty God, you're telling me that even though I blasphemed His name and, and, and accused Him of, of not being a caring God, you're telling me that even though I did all of that, He still loves me and He has provided a way of healing, a way of deliverance, a way of salvation, even though I don't deserve it. All i got to do is look at that serpent stuck up on that pole. It's going to take faith for me to believe that, Moses. But you're telling me if i got the faith to believe it, I look at that serpent on the pole and you're telling me that I will live. Moses... Where's the serpent? Where's the snake? Where's the pole? I'm going to look. That one, ladies and gentlemen, lived. Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him shall have eternal life. For God, connection word for God, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on that cross, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, every one of us have in one way or another shook our fist in the face of God. Every one of us have rebelled against God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all rebelled against God. But instead of leaving us in our sins to die and end up in that lake of fire, God so loved us that He sent His one and only. He sent His one and only to take my place, die for me. Those were my sins that nailed Him to that cross. And Jesus was lifted up. And if I in faith look to Him, and ask for forgiveness. The, the, the sting of death. The sting of sin. 
is washed away. Can somebody say amen? And then look at the next verse. Talk in context. Look at verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, here's the problem. When I was a little kid, my pastor said, David, God loves the world. You can take the word world out and put your own name in there. And that's what I did. I read John 3.16 this way, For God so loved David that He gave His one and only. And that's true. I think if I'd been, you know, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. But it wasn't just me on His mind. Look at John 3.16 again. For God so loved the... Who is it? You tell me. Come on, who is it? The world. For God so loved the world. Look at John 3.17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Four times in those two verses. Did Jesus die for David? Yes, Jesus died for David. Did Jesus die for my, my wife Loretta? Yes, God died for Loretta. Did Jesus die for you? Yes, He died for you. But not just me and not just you. The world. These billions of people that I just told you about who don't even know who He is. Do you hear what I'm saying? The God in the flesh. The Eternal One. The Alpha. The Omega. The beginning, the end, the one that we worship, the one that we adore. He came to this earth, was nailed to that cross, lifted up so that the world could believe in Him and be saved. Yet the world does not know. I thank God that there are many people out there who get it. Many people out there who are doing everything they know how to do to to tell the world this message. Can you guys put up that picture for me, please? I was in Benin, West Africa recently. Benin is that area where Ebola has broken out. Uh, Benin is the birthplace of voodoo. I do a lot of work in Haiti. The Haitians were brought as slaves from Benin and Togo. That's why they brought the voodoo with them. It's a, it's a country, little country just full of witchcraft. This is one of our Timothys, one of our students. He's not on his knees. He has no legs. I, the guy on the left is a dear friend, a board member of mine. The guy on the right there, he, he just he walks on all fours. He uses his hands and little stumps there. And he goes out on the street corner and tells people about Jesus. And very few people listen. He met this girl. He fell in love with the girl. And he went to the girl's father and said, Can I marry your daughter? And the father looked at him and said, You've got to be kidding over there, there's no government help. There, I mean, if you don't, if you can't work, you starve. He said, "You can't take care of yourself, much less my daughter." No, get out of my sight. The young man was discouraged, but he kept telling people about Jesus. He went back out on the street corner, witnessing, sharing Christ. A man walked by in a business suit, stopped and listened, and, and connected with the little guy and gave his heart to Jesus. Turns out, the man was a high-ranking uh, official in the Treasury Department of Benin. He not only came to Christ, he started going to the little guy's church he started, and he wrote out a check, built him in cash, paid for a brand new church building, the whole thing. Probably the nicest church I've seen in Benin. By the way, the girl that the little guy fell in love with, her father changed his mind. He let, he let them get married. They're happily married now. You ought to see him. He preaches. He holds on to the podium to kind of balance. I'd get down, but I wouldn't be able to get back up. But he, he holds on to the, the podium to balance himself. You know, I thought to myself as I watched this guy, if this little guy right here with no legs in Benin, West Africa, if he can tell people about Jesus, 
What in the world is my excuse? Amen? I was in Nigeria just a few months ago. You've all heard of the Boko Haram group that kidnapped all the girls? Remember all the uproar in the media? May I remind you, not one of those girls has been returned. They're all still taken. If you look at Nigeria, if you draw a line halfway through the country, east-west, the northern half is basically under Sharia law. That's where Boko Haram operates. Boko Haram, a loose translation of it is Western, Western education stinks. That's basically what it means. Those girls were all going to school. That's why they kidnapped them. And their way of thinking, girls should not be allowed to go to school. Those girls have been... Only God knows what's been done to those girls in the last three or four months. I was just there in February. A city called Abuja, the capital of Nigeria, right in the center of the country. Since I've been there, there have been terrorist attack after terrorist attack there. We, had our, we planted 196 churches in that Boko Haram area of Nigeria last year. 196. And at graduation, I was talking to some of our leaders or some of our teachers. And I said to you guys, I said, how do you guys plant these churches here with Boko Haram? Just, I mean, they, they, they cause so much trouble. One of them said, Dr. David, he said, last year... In just my church alone, I buried 25 of my members who were martyred by Boko Haram. That's one church. Another one said, one of my Timothys who graduated last year, see, in our system, we don't let them graduate until they start a church. He started a church, built a little grass hut type church structure. He said Boko Haram came along and they burnt it down. He rebuilt it. They burnt it a second time. He rebuilt it. He said they burnt it a third time. I was speaking to another guy who's right in the thick of the Boko Haram area. And I said, I said have, you, have you had problems? He said, oh yes. He said, my car and my house are riddled with bullets. I said, do you have a family? He said, yes, Dr. David, I have a wife. I have two little children. I said, how do you survive? He said, doctor, he said, we run. We run very fast. I hear stories like this every day of my life, and, and I come to, I, I find myself thinking, must I be carried to the sky on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? I work with, and I walk with, and I talk with, and I, 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 I'm associated with people like this who have nothing and yet who have given it all. And it is my prayer today that God will touch some hearts in this room, that there will be some people in this room who will say, I understand there's an urgency. There's a big world out there that does not yet know that God so loved them that He gave not silver and gold. He gave not, not pearls or diamonds. He gave His one and only. What more could He give? That he gave. And he told us, it's your job. Tell the world. Tell them. Go tell them. I'm leaving my spirit with you. My Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will fill you. 
You have all the power you need. Now go. Start where you're at. Start right here in your own city and spread out to your county. And, and don't, forget this, uh, don't forget Samaria, cross-cultural, but close by. But go to the ends of the earth. That's what He told us to do. This is my prayer this morning. That you will leave here with a fresh look at John 3.16 and an urgency in your heart to do what our Lord told us to do. And all God's people said. Would you bow your heads please for prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you again for the distinct privilege it is to stand here and address these people. I thank you for the great work that you've built here. I thank you for these young people that are here. I thank you for their vision. Lord, I wish we had 10,000 churches just like this one all over America. Lord, I thank you for their I thank you for Pastor Rich and Pastor Dan. I thank you, Lord, for the shepherds that you've brought to this place. And Lord, it is my desire Lord, that every one of us, starting with me, Lord, every one of us in this room would just have a passion, a hunger, a desire. That, Lord, we would not be able to rest until every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth have had a chance to hear that you so love them that you sent your one and only to die in their place. Father, make that our passion, please. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Well, our archers have come forward to receive our offering, but while they do that, I would like to tell you about a little miracle that happened this weekend. Um, together, our students gathered together for a thing called Revolution of Love, and uh, they built, some of you may be looking at this thing back here, now nicely lit up. Thank you, lighting team. You guys are awesome. Uh, and so, uh, the, uh, that is a bunk bed, a well-stained, well-constructed bunk bed. I don't know how to build that. I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with that. And so you may be like, why is there a bunk bed on the stage? Well, I got to go down with the first group from Lawndale, or to Lawndale. Uh, 